Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. I think it's safe to say that our luck has officially turned around, guys. We are back, baby. We're back. Classic. We are back. We are back. We are getting Doug back. And we're the three best friends that anybody could have. We're the three best friends that anyone could have. We're the three best friends that anyone can have. And we'll never, ever, 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 ever leave each other. Michael Preston. Oh, it's true. It's so very true. We are back. The Kook Center Hour. Back once again. Uh, even though it still says Kook Center Podcast in the intro, I can't get my wife to re-record that. Because she hates the sound of her voice on a microphone. Uh, we are so happy to be back. Just so tickled pink and uh, over the moon and exuberant, excited. All these things. Just, just, just all these things. Because it is now August... College football officially, we are not We are not going to go a month without college football for another six months. We have six straight months, including this one, where there is college football. How friggin' awesome is that? How, how, how friggin' cool. And we get college football earlier than ever. We get it like the, the weekend before Labor Day these days. Those Saturday games. There's that. What, Stanford's playing Rice in Australia. Oregon State's playing Colorado State. It's great. I love it. More, 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 more. That's why I've, I've said on this show before. I don't give me a hundred bowl games. I don't care. Fine, do it. More football. More football. I want it all. Give me more college football. Give me more college football. Again, I'm your host, Michael Preston. In case you didn't know, you heard the intro. Again, that my wife. Uh, hard enough to get her to do that on a, even once, let alone regularly. But I'll, I'll get her to re-record it with Kook Center Hour at some point, just for say, continuity issues on the imaging on the show, as an old program director would say. Uh, we have got... I, I'm not going to spend too much time in your way this week, um, because I, I thought we were going to have a pretty good show uh, to lead things off this year, because Jacob Thorpe was kind enough to donate some of his time to come into the West Seattle studios of the Kook Center Hour and actually sit down with us and and talk with us and, and, and a long in-person interview. I figured we were going to go for about 40 to 45 minutes. We went for an hour and 15 minutes. We went for an hour and 15 minute interview. It's all fantastic. His view on what this team's going to do this year. And then I, he goes a really great introspection on his time at the job at the spokesman covering Washington State. And actually a pretty great story about Mike Leach that uh, I had never heard before. And I don't think a lot of people had ever heard before uh, in there as well. So we're going to get to Jacob here in a second. I'll give you just the 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 quick... You know, I I, we're, I want to get more into this a little later on uh, in the month when we kind of start really diving deep on this team and how you know good or bad I you know I think they're going to be. Uh, but I I will start off with I you know I, I, there's a lot of people I don't think it's quite as hyped as last year where people were saying there's a chance the Cougs could steal the North. They were voted third in the media poll, higher than last year actually, if I remember correctly. Um, I am not one of those people. I I, I look at this football team. I look at the defensive line that is one injury and Daniel Aquale away from being dangerous, you know, dangerously thin. They all already are almost there. Uh, but just one injury to Daniel Aquale and things could go sideways. I look at a wide receiving core that loses arguably two of the better receivers in school history 
it's tough to replace those guys in any circumstance. Uh, you're lucky, as we'll talk to Jacob about, that Luke Falk decided to come back this season because now Tyler Holinsky's not trying to break himself in with, you, you know, he's not trying to, we're not, you're not trying to break a new quarterback in as well. And I look at the secondary, which should be good again, but, you know, you're still worried about the depth back there and, you know, you know how, how good can all these guys be? And Stanford, again, last year, very quiet, had the quietest 10-win season I think I've ever seen. They won 10 games. I, I, I'm dead serious when I say not a lot of people know that. Really not a lot of people know that. And Washington's defense is going to be insane, again, until further notice, when all those times that, you know, when Danny Shelton and uh, Danny Shelton and Shaq Thompson get drafted, you think they're going to take a step down? Nope, they get better. They had, what, something like four guys in the first two rounds this year? Kevin King, Buda Baker, Vita Vea, Vita Vea went right, something like that. And I, I just until further notice, it's kind of one of those Stanford things. Stanford's going to win nine or ten games until it, you know, I, I, I think until on a regular basis it doesn't happen. It obviously has happened a couple times under David Shaw, David Shaw, but they're going to be good until further notice. Same thing with Washington's defense. I just don't see Washington State being that team that takes the step to 10, to 10 wins this year. Schedule's hard. Five games to open the season at home is nice, but you book, you book at the end you got to play USC and then you got to go to Oregon. Oregon should be better this year. Now, granted, you have Cal and Oregon State in your conference. Who I, you know, I think Oregon State will take a step forward. I don't know if it'll be bowl eligibility this year, but and Cal is just trash, absolutely awful this year. And Arizona also on your schedule, not very good either. But you still have to go to Utah. You still have to play Colorado at home. Not an easy task. Nothing's easy on this schedule. You're playing in the Pac-12. Cal and Arizona may be the only exceptions, but you still got to go on the road to do that. I just don't see it. I don't see double-digit wins that some folks are seeing. I don't even really see nine wins like some folks are seeing. I see seven or eight with the bowl game. I just I'm being honest, guys. It's just I I don't have as much confidence in it, and it, you know, I, it's for all those reasons I listed before. But that they had a pretty great middle of the season last year, but they had a pretty crappy beginning and end. And for some reason, I, I just, I maybe it's all those last three games just sticking in my mind. But man, they look truly and really awful for the last 10 quarters of the season. I just, I don't see it. I don't see it this year. I'm going to enjoy going over for as many games as I can. I'm going to enjoy watching them each and every week and living and dying with the team. Because that's how it works. Because <laughs> you just never stop doing that no matter what. But I just, I just don't see the double-digit wins that some folks are seeing. I don't. Like I said, we'll get more into that as we roll on here in August before the season starts on September 2nd against Montana State. I want to get, though, to Jacob Thorpe because this is this is 75 minutes of just incredible in-depth. And he, you know, there's probably no fewer people. You're not going to find too many other people bigger expert on this team. And then just Jacob's thoughts on the job overall. We even get into a little bit of the industry talk, which I don't know if you're going to be interested in or not. But I find it interesting to talk about sports media and kind of where media is going and his experiences uh, as a beat writer for the Spokesman Review covering Washington State. So let's get to Jacob here after a quick break here on the Coop Center.
studios of the Coop Center out. We're a little more echoey now because the mic needs to be bi-directional. Uh, because we're sitting at a living room table now, and it's an this is an exit interview. Not 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 like with the newspaper, but an exit interview with us. Because this is the last time Jacob Thorpe, formerly of the Spokesman Review, is going to be on the show with us in a capacity of talking about the football team. But I've I've seen one thing. You've been over here for about twenty minutes chatting before we started here. Um, my producers like you more than they like me, and I literally scoop up their poop. Yeah. So what's, what's, did you bribe them? Did you, what have you done to my animals to make them like you more than me? Well, you know, I, I don't know, Michael. I, you know, I've been in the KJR studios. I've, uh, I've interned in the 710 studios. Uh-huh. Uh, I have never seen such friendly producers or such tastefully appointed studios as these West <laughs> Seattle ones. Or ones I would hope that lick their crotch. Uh, in front of the kid. <laughs> and, 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 you know, they should really show you more respect because, you know, over in KJR, Softy makes his producers pick up uh, his poop. So it's, <laughs> it's, it's just a, a very different vibe around here. But I think maybe they've gotten kind of fat and happy. I, I don't think you've been running them ragged as, as traditional in this industry. No, I, and Softy's not fat. No, that guy's lost a lot of weight. I, I compliment him on that. But I did, wow, I didn't know. I'll have to walk over to the other side because I do work in the same building. I'll have to walk over to the other side of the building to see how stinky i imagine there's a lot of rug doctoring going on over there yeah and uh, and adam lowey uh, i'm sorry uh, <laughs> <laughs> don't be sorry for him jacob thorpe joins us uh here on the first show of the year uh august 1st is when we're putting this out there and it's a month away from college football and i know even though you're not you're not working in college football anymore i mean there's just that certain aura around college football and getting excited for it we get games earlier than ever this year you get oregon state colorado state the weekend before labor day weekend and we get thursday night games we get all kinds of stuff it's just an exciting time of year to now be less than 30 days away from college football oh absolutely you know it's it's been it's interesting for me to sort of uh to see everything with new eyes and see it as a fan for the first time in uh, you know, almost a decade that I've been kind of covering the sport. It's, mm-hmm. you know, all of a sudden media day doesn't mean, hey, vacation's over. You got to start working again soon. It means, hey, there's going to be some games on TV. So mm-hmm. it's it's fun to uh, to get a different kind of excitement for the season right. and to know that uh, I'll be sitting on a couch watching some uh, TV, watching the games, and maybe in a parking lot having a few Zimas before uh, before kickoff. <laughs> Don't don't let your don't let your diploma show your uh, drink of choice in a tailgate lot there. Uh, before we get to football, I do want to I want to talk about one thing because after you left the spokesman, you went on a whirlwind trip uh, to mostly Germany. If I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I think you spent some time in Austria too. Uh, how much beer did you have, and how delicious uh, was all of it? Well, so, you know, here, I can even show you, our, our, listener, our listeners might not see, unless, you know, this might be a good photo, actually, to put up with the uh, oh yeah no, with yes. the thing online or whatever. But so, eight years ago, when I graduated from high school, my dad uh, and I did kind of a graduation trip mm-hmm. uh, over to Europe, my, my first time over there, and we, uh, we went to Germany, and we took this photo of the two of us in a, in a Munich beer hall. Uh, you know the big Hofbrauhaus mm-hmm. one that everyone. Oh yeah, does. yeah, I've been there. Yeah, and uh, and so we made sure to recreate that uh, this time, uh, eight years later, when I've uh, you know I think he's actually lost weight since the photo. I might have gained a little, but uh, you know it's a good encapsulation of what we were there to do. <laughs> and you know uh, he was a history major in college. I like history, so we we like to really get over there and soak up the culture and uh, 
as someone who just spent three weeks in Germany, I can say there's a lot to be said for a culture that seems to be entirely based on beer, bread, brats, and cheese. Yeah. Uh, so, yes, A, your dad has definitely lost weight. Uh, he looks thinner. Uh, how, you had just graduated high school in this photo. Yes. Are you sure it was high school and not junior high in this top one? Because I, well, I have a similar picture, and I have had one liter of beer, and I'm completely red in the face and completely drunk at the age of 18 after one liter of beer. Well, I, I just think uh, that's a very uh, tastefully used uh, uh, glare from the camera, I think, <laughs> is washing out my face a little bit. That was back when digital cameras and still the flash, we didn't have the advancements and cell phone cameras quite back then, yeah. Yeah, well, you can see the top photo, it, it, it looks so dark in the background and the mm -hmm. foreground's all lit up. I think these are taken at roughly the same time of day. These are both lunchtime oh, yeah. photos, mm -hmm. so uh, definitely some, some digital magic there taking off my... Uh, my ruddy complexion. But you got to go all over. I mean, you were all over the place uh, in Germany, weren't you? And you were over there for a few weeks, right? Yeah, three weeks. Uh, started up in Hamburg uh, about two weeks before the president arrived, but we still got to see some G20 protests. <laughs> so that was fun. Uh, and, and we had a great time up there. We went to a... Uh, a uh, we scalped some tickets. Ended up getting them for about twenty euros uh, by by holding up a cardboard sign with the you know German for need tickets. Yeah, we got uh, some twenty euro tickets to uh, their brand new concert hall, which cost eight hundred and fifty million euros. So that's about three really nice football stadiums on a concert hall. What? Which, you know, I I wouldn't mind having three really nice football stadiums, but yeah, good you know, lord, uh, that's about a billion dollars but you know, i think yeah right yeah. you know i i still have a mr moose's phone number so maybe i can hook the caf up with uh with whoever these guys were uh, fundraising from <laughs> i'm sure you appreciate the extra money no doubt yeah uh so let's let's dive into football uh a little bit because you you got to cover this team right kind of at the beginning of the mike leach era all the mm. way through um last season obviously i think just going from, kind of describe for me, going from where they were when you first got on the beat uh, after Christian Capel, our friend of the show, friend of all of ours, who's also leaving the industry, yeah. as it turns out. Um, after he left to go to the Tacoma News Tribune, you took over. Where has this team come from then to even say right now after the end of last season? Sure. Well, there's a there's a lot to be said about it. I think by far the the biggest encapsulation and what what's really been truly very impressive. And you know, if you if if you assume a you know a multiverse theory and there's a you know a million universes out there, you know, an infinite number of universes out there, and everyone's gone a little bit different way, this is probably one of the best universes for Washington State in terms of how the offensive line is developed. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and I've got to say. I've uh, kind of bit my tongue through a lot of uh, listening to, to leeches and Bill Mooses. Uh, you know, when we got here, uh, all the offensive linemen were 145 pounds, and uh, none of them were, you know, they were all on flute scholarships, mm -hmm. et cetera, et cetera. You know, not, not, not really true. If you, if, you, if you go back and look at the, uh, the early, early rosters, they, they were you know, not 250 pounds. They were 280, but that's still very, very light. Right. Uh, you know, at one point, um, I was doing one of those post-practice interviews, and we were talking about uh, Gunnar Eklund. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I said, so so what was what, what was he when he first arrived? Because he, he's put on so much weight. 
and uh, Leach goes, he, he turns to one of the sports information directors and says, what was he? He was one, uh, no, uh, probably about 220. And I just kind of went, no, 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 he, he wasn't. wasn't. No, he wasn't. <laughs> and, and, that, and it certainly didn't start with a one. Yeah. But, but so, so all that being said, having gotten that off my chest now, uh, you know, when they arrived, they... Their leaders on the O line were these walk-ons, and you know, mm-hmm. hardworking kids. Uh, certainly, kids that recognize, you know, recognized, hey, I'm getting an opportunity to to play for the Cougs and play Pac-12 football, and I I probably shouldn't. Mm-hmm. But guys that just could not hope to physically compete in a conference that regularly sends all these defensive linemen to the NFL, mm-hmm. and to develop an offensive line, you know, you. You know, they're six years in now. You know, it, well, it takes about four before you can probably even tell if you're doing it correctly. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they've had to just hit on some, you know, to, Andre Dillard was this, you know, undersized power forward they decided was going to come in and play left tackle. No, but he came from Woodenville, and I hear quality people come from well, Woodenville quality High School. wines come from Woodenville. Well, that's, yeah, that's, that's, yeah, that, oh well. <laughs> and, and Bud Withers lives there, but. Yes, he does. He does live there. That's, I actually went to high school with his son, but that's a completely different topic. He was a very nice guy. Uh, great guy. Uh, so, you know, Cody O'Connell at a high school that's produced, you know, a, at the same time he was in school with, you know, like a Stanford running back, Trey Adams. Mm-hmm. All these schools looked at the six foot eight, 360-pound guy and said, yeah, we don't really see it happening. They looked at him and said, you know, we do see it happening. And now he's, uh, you know, it, you can make a very good argument that he's the best player in school history. He and Jason Hansen beat yeah. the only unanimous All-Americans. And mm-hmm. he's coming back for another year. Yeah. Uh, that argument could be made. I'm not saying I would make it necessarily. Right. But he's going to be one of the most lauded, certainly. It would be a good embrace debate topic, though, yeah. Yeah, but but so even before that, uh, you know, Cole Madison, Riley Sorensen, to immediately turn it around and just say, the O-line went from being about as bad as it could plausibly be. You are basically... Telling the the big kids on campus, going to each frat and finding the kind of guy that pulls a little extra door duty and saying, why don't you come see if you can play a line for us? Yeah. Uh, To within five or six years having a very, very competent Pac-12 offensive line and heading into this year having what I would say is easily the best offensive line uh, since I got there Mm -hmm. and one of, if not the best offensive lines in the conference, that's really why they've had the ascension they've had yeah you know leach likes to say it's his favorite position um i don't know that i believe that he talks about the quarterbacks a little too much for me to believe that's not his Mm -hmm. favorite position but i think he recognizes that it's the most critical position to develop and they did it quickly and effectively and that's you know why they will continue to win six or more games every year Mm -hmm. going forward is because they're just set up well now there i mean if you look at the second level of o-line guys the kind of uh Christian Hangana, Nelson Gaiso, mm-hmm. uh, Cedric Biggie during group. They're they're all six six three fifty and they can all move. Yeah. And they're just you know, they've got depth there now. Mm-hmm. And so uh this is a really long answer to that question, but basically I think Clay McGuire has done an amazing job with mm-hmm. that. Uh, I don't think he gets enough credit as one of the really, you know, hot young assistants in the country, but what he's doing with that offensive line really speaks for itself i think because I mean, we talk about you know b- before even your time in pullman uh, in in during my time in school and a couple of years after i graduated it really looked like those offensive linemen were high school athletes 
going up against college-level players. And something that just still sticks out in my mind was the 2008 game against USC, uh, where basically the pep talk was, don't go out there and get hurt. They got beat 69 to nothing. But something that just sticks in my memory is watching the offensive line for USC come out onto the field. And that wasn't you know one of those world-beating USC teams, but right. it was still a pretty damn good football team. And it legitimately looked like a Pac-12 or Pac-10 team at the time walking out there against the junior varsity at Pullman High because these guys were so small. And now you go to, there is not an offensive lineman under 325 pounds or under 6 feet 4 inches tall. And the depth at that position is, I, I still am amazed at how, because it you know, I'm not, not saying you're going to plug somebody in for Cody O'Connell and they'll be just as good right away, but it really is. It's something you're comfortable with saying, like, yeah, one of these guys get hurt, gets hurt, it sucks, but we're probably going to be okay. Kind of the same thing, maybe we can say at quarterback a little bit. Tyler Holinsky certainly showed he can sling the ball last year, but Luke Falk decided to come back. I thought he might think about going to the NFL draft because of how... You know, how much, not to say worse, but not quite as loaded this class was compared to the one that's probably going to come out next year is. Um, that decision, I, I was surpri- pleasantly surprised by it, but how, how did you how did you think about that when you first heard that he was going to come back to school? Well, I, you know, I, I had a lot of uh, kind of a reactions to it. Just in, first in that I, I was sort of with you. I was not thinking he was probably going to come back for mm-hmm. most of the year. Uh, I, my interpretation of uh, prior to the bowl game when Leach said, "Oh, you know, of course he's coming back," I don't think uh, I don't think Mike Leach was uh, necessarily trying to pressure him or, or lie or persuade, be persuasive or anything. I just I read that as a very classic Mike Leach answer, like, "Of course he's coming back. Everyone's coming back. Why wouldn't you come back?" And yeah. I think that's just sort of his default. Uh, but I don't think. Uh, necessarily folks around uh, Luke Falk liked it very much or, and the mm-hmm. people who are kind of making helping him make that decision I think some of them felt sort of pressured mm-hmm. and I wondered if maybe that would have led to some friction during the offseason or made him kind of want to leave I think he financially he doesn't need to leave you know, yeah. you know his family is obviously very successful his sisters are very successful they're all doing very well for themselves but I think there were other reasons he may have wanted to uh, to move on and, and uh, you know conclude a very successful career in Pullman. I think the fact that those last three or four games, uh, he just did not play very well at all. No, uh, probably played a played a role. I mm-hmm. think uh, you know some scouts might have said, "Look, we uh, we've seen a lot of great film on you, but these last." three have not been great and yeah. we uh, we need to see that and I kind of wonder if as a Coug fan uh, obviously you want to win those last few games but if he'd played normal Luke Falk levels what you expect mm-hmm. to get from him night in night out you'd probably win the bowl game no yeah definitely. I, I, I yeah, don't yeah. think it makes the difference in the Apple Cup no god no no there were a lot of things that needed to go more correctly in that game and I and I don't know that it probably makes the difference in the Colorado game I think that game's at least closer it's than close, in the second half yeah but I I think even any good quarterback is going to struggle a little bit they had just the best in your face uh, we're gonna stop what you're doing cornerbacks you're gonna see yeah and, mm-hmm. and so I guess what I'm saying normal Luke Falk levels yeah if he threw for 550 and six touchdowns you're winning the game yeah 
But if he'd had what one would consider to be a, a solid game on the road at Colorado, uh, maybe it makes the difference. I'm not 100% sure that it does. Yeah. So if the trade-off is uh, you lose the bowl game, but it means you get another season of Luke Falk rather than uh, throwing Tyler Hylinski out there right now, mm-hmm. I, I think maybe you take that. Yeah. Uh, not to say that I don't think Tyler Hylinski will be very good. I do. I, uh, my projection is that he is the starter for a few years after this, mm-hmm. uh, having not obviously seen Connor Novell and those guys really. But yeah. I think Hylinski is doing everything correctly mm-hmm. to, to be a multi-year starter. I think people will really like him as the face of the program. Yeah. Uh, but I think you'd rather have Falk this year. I mean, that's good. And that is kind of the point of the air raid, right? Is that you you don't do what Falk has done, which you know Falk was thrust into the role early because yeah. of... Uh, Connor Halliday's broken leg but the the point of the air raid is that you are in it for multiple years learning and most Mike Leach quarterbacks are two-year starters they start for two years uh, or you know fewer whatever it's an exception to the rule when somebody's out there for longer so having him behind Luke Falk for another year is helpful I don't know that I'm as totally comfortable with the receiving core come next year for him but if that's how it's got to be that's how it's got to be um, I, I think the other thing, too, you look at, you're going to lose Gerard Wicks and Jamal Morrow after this year. Hopefully, you're still going to have James Williams uh, after this season, unless he just goes totally bonkers and decides to go to the draft, in which case, go get your money, son. You're not going to, you know, lifetime of a running back in the NFL is pretty short. Um, but I think I saw Brian Anderson said on Twitter uh, earlier today that uh, in college football last year, there was nobody that had more yards of scrimmage at the running back position than WSU running backs. That's not necessarily just running the ball. Obviously, it's catching the football. You have three extremely talented running backs, and although you know we've talked about the offensive line, we've talked about Luke Falk. Are those running backs the most underrated? Uh, you know, I mean, maybe they're not underrated to you and I, but just to the general fans of the team, and maybe to the public watching or the people covering the team from outside. You know, the spokesman or whatever. Are they the most underrated unit? on the team just because when people think air raid they don't think running back yeah i i I think it's certainly fair to say it's i think uh around maybe week eight or nine last year maybe maybe like nine or ten uh it became pretty apparent that you know these guys are accounting for a huge percentage of yards from scrimmage and I know that uh i think maybe the week before the colorado game i i tried to write something saying this group will probably be the first Mike Leach running back group ever to uh, rush for 1,500 and receive for 1,000. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I guess in the Washington State bubble, it, it does seem like uh, there's been a long effort. I know uh, Stephanie Lowe also at the, at the Seattle Times wrote something. Uh, you guys have had a few of those great Brian Anderson pieces really breaking down the, the percentages yeah. and you know the nerdy stuff. Uh and so I think among Washington State fans, unless you are just, unless you're such a casual fan that you just, you know, you kind of turn on the game, you don't know the names or numbers, but you, you kind of like seeing them win. Uh, but if you're someone who really kind of follows it and you're going to the websites and, and reading the articles, I, I think you have a good sense that the running backs are a pretty key piece of it by mm-hmm. now, because I think uh, they've tried to give them a lot of credit. Uh, I certainly think among uh, the Pac-12 at large, uh, they're probably underrated. Uh, you yeah. know, I, I can't imagine that too many uh, you know Colorado readers are, are finding our stuff and really kind of making note of it. 
And because none of them individually are going to show up on the Pac-12 rushing leaders in a given year, uh, because they are a three-headed group, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm sure they're underrated. I do think among the fan base, what else is underrated is just the uh, enormous impact uh, Jim Mastro has had, mm-hmm. and how much, how, how sort of unique that is, and how kind of lucky the Cougars are to have that situation. Uh, you know, Coach Mastro is a guy that Chris Alt. Uh, really 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 lobbied to be the head coach at Nevada mm-hmm. he's been the running backs coach at UCLA you know he he could certainly uh particularly back when he was joining the team in 2012 basically because you know he and Leach go way back he's had more glamorous opportunities and mm-hmm. he's he's always kind of had that the the fact that he's there basically because he's he likes living close to coach Ken Wilson and uh you know his time with Leach dates all the way back to their college days has really been a boon to Washington State when you think of the fact that the first you know running backs he really recruited uh, Jamal Morrow and Gerard Wicks yeah and those guys were able to redshirt and then have been a very capable backfield ever since you know, yeah. as redshirt freshmen they became the stars or the starters at that position they took on a big burden uh, they're very good citizens you know Morrow's at media days today yeah uh, <laughs> Wicks is also a guy that uh you're very he's sort of the leader of the group Mm -hmm. Morrow's kind of the clown Williams is the guy they like to clown on but everyone kind of knows that he's the one who is probably going to make the most money playing football yes yes. Uh, and and and, but Wicks is kind of the one that keeps the room together Keith Harrington is a is a very funny polite popular kid uh and I think the the reality is more so than any other position group it's not about the wide receivers it's not about the quarterbacks it's not about the O-line in terms of sort of buying into what the air raid is, uh, it's the group of guys that are being asked to not run the ball very much and yeah. have to trust that you guys will get all the touches. You're gonna you're gonna get all the touches you need. Uh, it's just gonna come differently than all of your friends who are running backs to other Pac-12 schools. It's gonna be very different than what you were doing in high school. You just have to trust us. And yeah. so the fact that you've got these three or four very popular players on the team very productive players who immediately came and bought what you know Mastro was selling in terms of uh, you know we'll take care of you this is what they're doing at the NFL it's just not what you're used to trust me I think that has bled into the team very much I think mm-hmm. uh, Mastro and then Morrow and Wicks uh, are a big part of the sort of team-wide buy-in in mm-hmm. a way that a lot of people might not see the receivers uh, this year Jacob I'm I'm not quite as high on as maybe some people. I, I think Tavares Martin is the very obvious talent. Yeah. Um, I think Isaiah Johnson Mack still has a lot of growing to do, but he's obviously a very capable uh, wide receiver. Robert Lewis is here for his final year, and we all know what he can do um, inside. But I, I think the loss of River Craycraft after he tore his ACL last year was very, very evident uh, against Colorado, Washington, and Minnesota. And I don't know... You know, it's not to take anything away from Gabe Marks, who was obviously arguably the best receiver in school history. Yeah. But that what River Craycraft did for that team, especially on third down, you know, we talk about underrated with the running backs, but and even though we knew how important he was, maybe we didn't know just how important he was because Kyle Sweet's a perfectly fine receiver, but he was clearly not a substitute for River Craycraft last year. And I think... WSU, you know, it's a good thing that you have Luke Falk back because trying to get Tyler Holinsky to get comfortable with a receiving group 
trying to find a way to be excellent without River Craycraft and Gabe Marks is going to be a tough tough task. Jamiri Calvin uh, helps things if he can come in and play right away. I have no doubt he probably can. But what what do you see in this receiving core this year? Because I you know I, again I'm I'm not saying you know obviously that these this is going to be a horrible year for these receivers. I'm just not as high up on them um, maybe as some folks are. So, so, so there's a, a stat that I just love that, that's being used in the NBA now, now that they have the ability to track every player and every player's relationship mm-hmm. to every player. That, that's essentially a, a shooter's gravity. How much, how close do the defenders off ball have to stay to their man because they know he's such a deadly qu- quick-release shooter? Yeah. Uh, how much does he suck the defense towards him? Uh, it would probably be impossible to do something similar in football because you know everyone's assignments differ on a given play or what have you. Mm-hmm. But my perception has always been that River Craycraft had an abnormally large gravity. That just him going somewhere in the middle of the field drew linebackers, drew defenders a couple steps closer than basically anyone on Washington State. And I also kind of think that his injury really sort of played that out. I think yeah. that you know the middle of the field just became a, a way more comfortable place for those linebackers mm-hmm. once River wasn't there to, to make the catch. I think this year's team, uh, it, it's gonna they're going to have to try things differently. I, I'm sure you'll still see a million mesh plays, yeah. but I don't know that they've got guys that can just fight off the line and, and get open for those quick hits in the way that, that uh, Craycraft yeah. was able to and guys have in the past. And, you know, I mean, Robert Lewis has earned the benefit of the doubt. He's a, he's a very good player at that position. He Just just for that block he threw in Utah against yeah. Utah, that Vince mainly touched down. He's earned I, I'm not going to get in his way. That man could kill someone. Yeah, he, he's a very, very good player, and uh-huh. he, he sticks his nose in there. Uh, I wonder if this is a team that feels more like that Vince Maley year and that the, the guys that they've got are guys that are going to excel in those kind of in those verts plays when mm-hmm. he just whips it downfield as you said uh Tavares Martin you know that 50 yarder at Boise you can't argue with that no uh Johnson Mack it, it is encouraging that it seems like what I saw from him a lot in the spring and even towards the end of last year was sort of shorter stuff where he then uses his body to just muscle guys for mm-hmm. six yards uh, which was a lot, which was important for him because I think very early on he was someone that, much like Maley's first kind of six games at Washington State, did not realize that he was sixty pounds more than whatever DB. Yeah, was he's up he's, to tackle he's him. six foot three, listed at six foot three, two hundred and sixteen pounds. I mean, yeah. the kid is just. He's also worth noting maybe he has Gabe Mark's number this year, so. I, maybe we can recreate that production, but yeah, no, he's well, you know, he does maybe just doesn't realize how big he is. And like uh, Martin, he's from Belgrade, Florida, which mm-hmm. means that he growing up, he's you know he's been in it. He's played some very good players, mm-hmm. uh, but he's also this kind of big outside receiver type. Uh, Aesop Winston, you know, Falk told me he had the best hands of any receiver he's ever played with. Mm-hmm. He looked very good in the spring. I've sort of made a promise to myself that I'm just never going to trust wide receivers based off of uh, practice performances again. Uh, you know, there's, it's. I, I think it's a position where when it's not live, it's too easy for a, a wide receiver who's a great athlete who can catch the ball okay, who knows where he's going ahead of time, and the defense isn't a hundred, you know, isn't that really full speed mm-hmm. to just look like a world beater. You're, you're seeing it's like a combine. You're seeing all their attributes in practice, but until. Yeah. Until they might get a concussion on any given player, and, and you know, until the defense is really locked in, you just right. 
you, you don't really know, you know? Yeah. Uh, I, I hate to kind of, he seems like he's always the example and, and I hope he figures everything out, but mm-hmm. Kyron Priester, uh, his first fall camp was a, more of a weapon than Gabe Marks was in practice. Yeah. You know, he was the same player, but in a second round pick body. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have seen uh, CJ Dimery light the world on fire in scrimmages. Right. And, you know, we, we saw a little bit of that in games. He's he's just a health concern. Mm-hmm. But so, Aesop, Winston, there, I have no reason to think at this point that he couldn't be an exceptional player for them. Uh, I would not be shocked at all to see him at Y eventually. Yeah. Just because it seems like that position is open and he's uh, a little more of that body type and he mm-hmm. has really good hands. But I could also see... Uh, him sort of doing what Desmond Patman last did last year, which was look very good and then just you know adjust to that speed. Yeah, and uh, and we'll have to see what Patman can do this year because he had a phenomenal spring once again. Yeah, uh, let's move to the defense now. Uh, now that we've gone over all the offense, uh, Nalu Tapa not on the team anymore. He did have some academic issues uh, in the spring, so maybe not a gigantic surprise. No pun intended there. Um, that he's not with the team anymore. Um, but, man, if there's one position on this team where I am worried, it's up front. That's not to say that Nambi Aguayo, uh, Hunter Maddox, uh, Moore, uh, Hercules Mata'afa, those guys aren't excellent at what they do. We all know Hercules Mata'afa is you know, first-team All-Pac-12 and earns All-American honors. But without someone, um, without someone up front, and I was thinking of Garrett McBroom, not more beg my pardon but um and Daniel Aquali but without that true nose tackle up front like your Robert Barber last year now you lose Nalu Tapa who wasn't out there all the time because of fitness issues and Daniel Aquali will try to be the nose tackle this year but that worries me in a 3-4 defense that you don't have a guy who is a true nose tackle and maybe one of the deficiencies of Alex Grinch's defense is trying to get a nose tackle to Pullman and they're already aren't a lot of nose tackles now you're trying to recruit run to Pullman and that can be difficult to say the least no and and it's uh you know it's something that Grinch and I have talked about a, a lot over the last couple of years and it's, it's it's something he openly acknowledges there's just uh not that many of them and uh, you know getting one is basically every player who can play nose tackle in the Pac-12 and start at, at a true nose tackle position uh in my opinion should be an automatic four or five star recruit I mean yeah. that, that's how the coaches value them. You're trying, yeah. you're trying to get one a class, and if you get one in a class, that's a huge deal. That's a centerpiece for your class, uh, regardless of where the recruiting websites have them. Mm-hmm. You know, they should they should truly adjust their composite rankings for that position. Yeah. Uh, I think I think Grinch is a uh, a good defensive coordinator for having this constant position, and that I don't I don't think we've ever seen the Alex Grinch defense. I don't think we've seen his preferred style of defense. I think mm-hmm. it's similar to what you uh, to what they were running at Missouri back when they had all these SEC defensive player of the years at linemen, mm-hmm. uh, at defensive linemen, but he hasn't had that luxury at Washington State. But I do think what his strength is is the ability to adapt. Mm-hmm. You know, th- there are very few defensive coordinators, I would think, who would take their best player at Shalom, you know, Shalom Luani, uh, have him at what many would think was sort of the centerpiece of that defense in the safety. Right. In centerpiece and that that's the person who kind of sets up the defense mm-hmm. he's, he's your best most experienced player he's the only one who's getting drafted yep. and then week two or three say you know why don't we see what he does at linebacker 
You know that that that's just a <laughs> yeah. That's that's really trusting your players. It's willing to adapt your personnel to their strengths, mm-hmm. and it's not locking yourself into a system. And so I think he will figure out a look that still gets his eleven best players on the field mm-hmm. and puts them in position. It's just like you said, that entire look is going to be based on Daniel Aquale being in a certain position and that allowing Hercules Mata'afa to do something. And if either of them gets hurt, then you're just you're rolling guys through there and hoping they can keep it up. I mean, that's yeah, it's what they had to do last year. And to, you know, to their credit, I would never have looked at last year's defensive line and thought, oh, they can hold Stanford to 17 points. Yeah, but, <laughs> but that, that last touchdown doesn't count. I, I'm, I'm still that, that was not a kick, but that's that's a that's a that's an issue for me and Larry Scott. But yeah, but uh, but you know, you saw last year when they, you know, I mean, imagine. Uh, you know, setting up a defense like he was last year and then finding out, oh, I guess this week we've got our nose tackle. Oh, this week he's in court. This week we have our nose tackle. This week he's in court. Yeah. Uh, and you saw what those kind of absences, you know, did on their run defense. Mm-hmm. And so I think this year, you know, the defensive line, it's it's the guys you've said, uh, those guys all have very specific strengths they were recruited to do, but now they're being asked to do other things. And yeah. so if... If there is an Achilles heel to this football team, I, I think it's very clearly defensive line and defensive line depth. Yeah, uh, linebacker. I'm on. You know, that's that's just a spot I'm just not too terribly worried about. Between Peyton Pelour, who is obviously a leader of not just the linebacking core but the defense, and you have a lot of guys like Isaac Dotson when he can stay. You know, another guy with health issues, but when he's healthy, he's very good at his position. And you know, you look around Frankie Louvu, who is just all over the place when he's on the field. Uh, and it's just somewhere that, you know, I don't worry too much about the depth. You got Justice Rogers, who made the switch from quarterback when he was at Bellevue. He's now up to 6'2", 225. I think, yeah. God, he must have put on 30 or 40 pounds there. And I just, I look up and down and I just go, you know what? Yeah, I'm worried if somebody gets hurt, but there's a lot of depth there. Yeah, I think it certainly could be another situation where, uh, you know, a year ago and, and two years ago in particular, the first couple games of the season, everyone's sort of freaking out about the linebackers. and Ah, oh, they're in the wrong gaps, and they're missing tackles. And, yeah. And I wonder if how much of that is maybe because the defensive line is still figuring some stuff out and yeah. they're having to – I mean, I think the linebackers – I think what happens is the defensive line is figuring some stuff out. The linebackers see that happening, particularly with these running quarterbacks – try to overcompensate really they've got you know Peyton Palour is you, you know you're not worried about him he knows what he's doing he's technically sound but he's not the kind of athlete who can overcompensate and then get caught right uh, um, you know Frankie Lubu will knock a guy out of the game he's very fast in a straight line but it isn't really side to side like that and yeah. so I think those first few weeks it just turns into this kind of cesspool where everyone's just trying to make a play. Mm-hmm. Then once the defensive line kind of gets in a, in a situation where it, it knows its calls, it knows its zone, it knows what it's doing, then it makes it easier for the linebackers. They know what they're doing. Uh, I think you're right. All those guys are, they've proven themselves they're solid. They've been through the wars before. They've, mm-hmm. they've played in big games now. I, I think yeah. it's very underrated that, you know, two years ago, this team pretty deep in the season played Stanford for a chance to, to really make some noise in the Pac-12 North. Year after that, they head into the Apple Cup with a chance to win the North because they've played in big games before. Yeah. Uh, now, th- those guys have all been through the ringer. Uh, I think it will be interesting to see what those backups look like. They 
they love Jihad Woods. Yep. He's, he's he's short, but he can really get his nose in there. Mm-hmm. It was interesting to me that they moved him out of that mic position and put Justice Rogers in there. Justice Rogers is going to be a really interesting one to follow over the next few years, I think. When he showed up, he could barely do a pull-up. Seriously. Uh, you know, it, <laughs> Well, I mean, to be a quarterback in Bellevue's offense, it is, it yeah. is an option offense. He didn't have to... Didn't have to throw it. You know, he didn't have to throw it. Didn't have to be particularly strong. But, but he's, you know, he's a, a real good kid who's used to having a lot of responsibility on his shoulders. Mm-hmm. Clearly, he, uh, you know, I, I think he really wanted to play quarterback, and they didn't let him try it very long. Yeah. But he's obviously embraced being a defensive player. He made a lot of plays when they moved him. And the fact that he put on, you know, what has to be a good deal of muscle. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't. I'm gonna, I'm gonna look back. I'm gonna look back at his old weight because he's at 225 now, and that's just an exceptional amount of weight uh, compared to where he was uh, the previous year. But continue. So what I'm saying is, I, I think he, I think to me that indicates he's a player that takes it all very seriously, mm-hmm. and is because he's a very cerebral, you know, quarterback type guy. I can see why. Putting him in the middle of the defense makes a lot of sense. Listed at 215, I don't believe that for a second. I, I, I don't believe that for one second that he was that that he was that heavy. 215 feels generous. Yeah, a, li- a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, actually, uh, speaking of guys who can fill in at linebacker, Eric Powell now up to 205 pounds. So if he well, and, you doesn't know, worry about kicking too much, he can he can. He well, can. and you know, Eric Powell has one of the fastest shuttles on the team. Oh well, that's great, wonderful, he is, good. He is a, a a weight room guy. Yes, he, he, good. Uh, I think kind of shocks some of his teammates, and uh, you know, I think it's good for a kicker to be in there doing stuff like that. Too. It is good. I would. I, well, I don't know what it has to do with him putting a field a ball between uprights, but. Well, you know, at some point you might have to chase down a kick returner. So. That is true. <laughs> yeah, that is true. I suppose you ought to be able to knock anybody out. Uh, the secondary obviously lose Shalom Luani, big part of it uh, back there. Uh, Darian Moulton and Marcellus Pippins you still have, who I think are two good cornerbacks. Robert Taylor's back. Grant Porter uh, is coming off his redshirt year. You have Sean Harper, who transferred in uh, from Georgia. Long way to go to come up to Washington State. Uh, and just a lot of, this is, a, you know, I think you look up and down the roster and it's a surprisingly young yeah. Unit, a very surprising. They got young very fast all of a sudden, and I, you know, I, I think there's a lot of capability here to be excellent again. I, you know, kind of predicated on the defensive line not leaving them out to dry too much, but I, I think that, you know, there's a lot of potential here with these guys. We've seen the talent, especially from Moulton, Pippins, Taylor, uh, but there's just a lot of uh, a lot of potential here to be very good this coming season. Yeah, my, my, my sense is that uh, Boise State's a little early in the year for this group, and that could be tricky because Rippon, Rippon is a good quarterback, and he's going to throw deep on them a lot, and they're going to have to come to play. Uh, at cornerback, like you said, you've got two longtime starters. Uh, I think actually Marcus Strong is, is more the style of cornerback that uh, Grinch mm-hmm. likes, and so I think he's going to be given a lot of opportunity to start there opposite Darian Moulton. Yeah. Uh, you've even seen, you know, obviously – Pippins has given them a lot of really good starts, and he's made some big plays. Mm-hmm. But you have seen Grinch try other guys at that starting position and sort of sort of look for uh, sort of different body types and style mm-hmm. of cornerback than Pippins. Uh, I think they will try to do that with Marcus Strong because he's, yeah. he's played very well. Um, uh, at safety, you know, you've, you've got Jalen Thompson, who was certainly a freshman last year, but is also a he's a playmaking guy. 
Yeah. And he will miss less often this year, which will mean he will make more of those plays. You know? Yeah. There were certainly times last year when uh, it was maybe a little overwhelming for him, but having a having a now having a true off season, having seen everything once or twice, you know he he has played a quarterback that won Offensive Player of the Year in the Pac-12 on a team mm-hmm. that you know went to the playoffs. He has played uh, Josh Rosen. He's he's seen guys. Mm-hmm. Hasn't played Josh Rosen. No, but but, uh, but he's seen faithful, guys. faithful, fit, whatever that guy, whatever his name Fafal, was. Fafal, 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 yeah, uh, whatever Stanford had. Uh, yeah, whatever Stanford. Yeah, Keller Christ and uh, I can't remember the other guy's name who got murdered by UW the week before. Some guy. Yeah, but uh, you know, and and I think. Robert Taylor's pretty good, mm-hmm. and, and I think him he having an off season will be a big deal. So I, yeah. I think I think uh, you know they're not going to be. I don't think they're going to be incredible off the bat, mm-hmm. but they've got guys who've been through before, and I think they they're going to be good enough. Mm-hmm. And I could see them getting to be really pretty good midway through the season. If you had to give me a prediction right now for a record through twelve games, and then if you think they will be bowl eligible. What bowl they will go to? Keeping in mind the Rose Bowl is a playoff game this year. Hmm. I mean, feel free to shoot for the stars if you want. I don't. I don't quite think they'll be one of the four best teams in the country. But um, if you had, if you had to tell me right now, and we're you know we're a full more than a month away um, from the season starting, if you had to put a record on it right now and a bowl game appearance on it right now, what would you say? Well, let's see, because, you know, I didn't go to media day this year, so I didn't actually have to kind of do all this. Oh, no, you didn't. No, they got picked third in the north, They got picked, which actually I think is about right. Washington, obviously, the dominant force in the in the division this year, followed by Stanford, which, again, they, they kind of sneakily won 10 games last year. Very yeah, quietly it's, won. It's like the quietest double-digit win season I think I've ever seen. Oh, outside of their back-to-back 30-point blowout losses, yeah, the they Washington were schools. basically yeah. a playoff team. Yeah. And, you know, I mean... Uh, not just Stanford, but uh, there was this big perception that Christian McCaffrey had this really down season. When outside of those games, he was basically the same player yeah. he was when he was a uh, you know. And he did. I should have won yeah, the Heisman. If I recall correctly, he did get hurt a little bit uh, yeah. against Washington, so he missed a part of that game as well against W. And I think they just ended up holding him out because again, you know, what's the point of getting your all-world player hurt when you're already down by four touchdowns in the fourth quarter? Um, but yeah, I and, and so now third. I think Oregon fourth is a little. Oregon State fifth. I I I think they might surprise some people this year if they can figure out their quarterback situation. They're going to be a lot better down in Corvallis, and then Cal obviously a distant sixth because they're just oh god, they're going to be bad. Yeah, I'm a little. I think we may be overcorrecting on the Oregon State resurgence a little bit. It seems like they're yeah. a very popular. They're going to be way better this year. I think they will be better. Mm-hmm. Better than the last couple of years could mean three or four wins. That's true. You know, I, I don't know that I see them making this huge jump. Although I will say, I I attended an Idaho football practice because uh, I had an off day a couple summers ago during mm-hmm. fall camp, and uh, I returned to uh, I believe Theo Lawson, the new Wazoo. Beat yeah, the guy who will be replacing you. Hopefully, uh, we'll get him on the show here soon. Yeah, who was covering the team at the time. And turned to him and said, uh, why isn't Jake Luton the starter? Because he looked, to me, much better than Linehan, who's obviously a, a fairly capable mm-hmm. uh, quarterback in his own right. So, you know, if Luton is the guy and now they've got a quarterback, then, you know, maybe. Maybe they're, you know, starting to get closer to being bowl eligible. Right. But, 
Uh, I, I don't really see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think there's a that is a big, big rebuilding project, and the fact yeah. that they were able to get Gary Anderson to come do it is is really quite. Something. I think it also speaks to the dysfunction at Wisconsin that two coaches, uh, Brett Bielema and Gary Anderson, have both jumped ship without provocation. Yeah, yeah. In when, very short order. When Anderson left, I asked a lot of uh, of my friends, uh, sort of just around the world of college football, what would happen or why that happened. And my sense is that Barry Alvarez is not the easiest athletic director to. Uh, no, to the guy with. who wants to coach the bowl game and not let somebody else. Oh, wow, that's it's, really surprising. It's to tough me. to have a. It's, Guy looking over your shoulder constantly. You have to have a statue of your boss right outside. Yeah, that is a little difficult. Yeah. So, so going through the schedule here. um, Well, you know, I've picked them to win their last few openers and been. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair, everybody has done that. Uh, But why not? You know, if let's say this: if if the poetic justice of Brugman coming to Pullman had been there, I I might not have been able to do it. Right, but he has. I don't. He transferred again. I think so. Yeah. The you know I I actually went to the uh, Montana State at Idaho game last year just because I, I hadn't been to a game I didn't have to cover in a while and yeah. I had an off day and um, I didn't think he looked that good but uh, but regardless uh, no reason to to kick him on his way out the door uh, I think Wazoo beats Montana State and I'll go on the record saying it okay uh, good I, I I will do that too right now but also will later Kuga yeah. Sutra if you're listening to this uh, my picks zero and one after the first week <laughs> let, let me know. Um, <laughs> Boise week two is is not ideal, but this is you know Washington State's a team that's returning a you know for Boise State they're they got to travel to a team that's returning a first team all conference quarterback all their mm-hmm. running backs O line etc. So Washington State wins that one really big game. Uh, Oregon State I my feelings are clear about uh, I don't I think this team is past losing to Nevada so they're four zero. Uh, I. It's hard for me to see them beating USC. Yeah, you know, I, no, I agree with that. Yeah. We, uh, you know, I, I, I did see the USC at UW game last year, and to me, it, it just wasn't particularly comparable. You know, one team mm-hmm. just looked way better, and mm-hmm. that's way better than a team that had, you know, three NFL defensive tackles, right? Four and NFL backs, yeah, defensive just, yeah. backs. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Browning's obviously very good. Uh, we who follow the Cougs know how good those running backs are. Yeah. Uh, you know, for USC to sort of just clearly be much better. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I think they could win the title this year. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, we'll call it four and one. At Oregon, I'm not as high on the Oregon resurgence as Thank many you, are. God. Thank you. It, good Lord. They've had a very dramatic offseason. Uh, and, you know, I mean, Royce Freeman coming back is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Herbert looked like a fine quarterback. You don't have Carrington anymore. Uh, Troy Dye is the only person on your defense that made me really kind of go, oh, hey, yeah. last year. So I, I'm comfortable predicting that's a win, although it, you know, it's on the road. It wouldn't shock me if right, yeah. they don't have a three-game win streak. You're in Austin, yeah, yeah. So call it 5-1, uh, Wazoo 6-1 and one at Cal. Colorado, you know, if if McIntyre can figure it out, it wouldn't shock me because that backup looked real good last year. I Montez, thought. yeah, and uh, they've got a very good uh, wide receiver coming back, Philip. They've got some guys, uh, but they lost their whole defense, including the coordinator. And to me, that's what made them good last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I thought Shea Fields and those guys being good was was nice, but every Pac-12 team has a has some guys like that. Yeah, what made them them was their. Uh, was their defense last year. So at home, call that 7-1. Uh, 
uh, Arizona to me is just, is sort of a tire. No, they're, right they're, they're going to be they're going to be garbage. It's yeah, shocking. And you know, it, the, the next time I talk with Leach off the record, I'm going to say, obviously, you think very highly of Coach Rodriguez. Obviously, he's been a very successful coach who clearly knows how a program is built and what that looks like. Yeah. What is happening there? Because that just that looks really bad to me. Yeah. Uh, Stanford coming to town. I'll give them one of Stanford and Oregon. Yeah. I think that's yeah. reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, Utah is my toss-up. You know, it's at Utah. Got to go to Salt Lake. Utah's tough. Yeah. tough. Mm-hmm. Utah just, it, they know what they're doing. Kyle Whittingham always seems to find, you know, I, I, I think probably the most underrated coach in the Pac-12 just because he always seems to find a way to win eight or nine games a year. I mean, you know, Utah is obviously you get... There's a Samoan connection there, yeah. um, but I, I I think that he is just a he's a very good football coach. And again, you have to go down to you have to go down to the Muss and you have to go down to Salt Lake in the middle of November when the weather's crappy and all that other good jazz. And it's just <laughs> the jazz. they will find a running back. Yeah, uh, I'm not. I wasn't enamored of Troy Williams last year. I don't think anybody was enamored with he, Troy Williams. You know, he was a big recruit, so maybe they can salvage something, or at least now they. Now they know what they have in him, so they've got more mm-hmm. time to kind of plan an offense. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna put that as my toss up. You know, I I picked the Cougs in the Apple Cup all three times I had a chance, and they uh, never made me look great. So I'm I'm gonna end that. I, sh- I don't think in, in gonna... Seattle this year against that team. I'm I'm gonna say no, but maybe you know my yeah. streak of being wrong in Apple Cups will continue. Yeah, well, so. you know, I will say they get they get the extra week before. Uh, they get their bye week before, but I just, I, I, I think to this Which, point, it's just sorry, kind of a... Theo, it's going to be a long slog before yeah. that bye week. <laughs> uh, it just, until further notice, that defense is going to recover. Because, I you know, I, I thought they would struggle after they lost Shaq Thompson, and after they lost, uh, you know, God, I can't, all those names aren't even coming to mind, uh, Danny Shelton up front. I thought they would struggle that year, and nope, they came back and were better well, the it, following year. It seems like they, more than any other team, too, just sort of they feel like they have a prescription for what Washington State likes to do on offense. And part yeah. of that is based around having ridiculously good players in the secondary. Yeah, these yeah. amazing defensive backs who you can just leave on an island. Yeah. And and have them press. Yeah. But you know, the, the those super cocky quotes from Jimmy Lake and those guys last yeah, year. Whatever. Uh, yeah. to, those were cocky and, you know, kind of douchey, but they also felt heartfelt. They kinda they just sort of knew they had their yeah. prescription. Yeah. And yeah. so uh, it, it seems like, you know, from talking to former TNT UW reporter Christian Capel and such, it, it sounds like they've still got a pretty good secondary. Yeah. So I'm, I'm doing 8-3-1. and one. I'll, I'll give you that. So 8-3-1, so and one, uh, give me give me a, because that, that kind of puts you in the area depending on how everybody yeah, else I, does. That it's just, did, uh, you know, does USC go to the Rose Bowl? Or yeah, go to the, the playoffs. Year yeah. six stuff. Does Washington uh, fill in one of those other at-marches? Alamo Bowl through Foster Farms range. Yeah, I, I don't think the Holiday Bowl will take them again. Not for another year in a row. That might be a tough sell. So I think you're probably thinking. Well, well after last year, I, I yeah yeah, I kind of they laid a stinker down there. Yeah. Well, and you know, it, it, they traveled well, but not resoundingly well, mm-hmm. and it was just sort of a. It wasn't an, well, you know, the the, the 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 night before the game, the Cougs did take over San Diego in a way the. Uh, Gophers sure didn't, so I, yeah. I bet that resonated because mm-hmm. uh, among all bulls, uh, the Holiday Bowl is almost, they all care, but the Holiday Bowl almost kind of uniquely seems to care about the uh, 
economic impact of mm-hmm. the, basically the gas lamp district. Yeah. And, you know, Washington State certainly held up its end of the bargain there. So yeah. uh, I don't think it was a bad experience from them. But, I, I, you know, two years in a row, I could see them feeling like Washington State probably wouldn't travel great yeah. immediately after. Yeah. Well, we've gone through everything we need to go through football-wise. Um, you cover the team for mo- you know three seasons. I, I, I can only give people uh, who ask, you know, because I'm not in Pullman. Mm-hmm. I'm not over there. I get the emails from Bill and Bobby, and I get, you know, we can get on the conference calls and all that other good jazz. Mike Leach is not an easy guy to cover. What's it like to cover a dude like that? Because it just, it kind of seems to me like, you know, he's, he's like a box of chocolates every day. You just don't know what you're going to get from him. Well, you know, it's, I, I feel bad because probably every radio hit out of state I've done over three years has asked me that. You know, yeah. every, you know, Salt Lake City wants to know, well, what's it like to cover Mike Leach, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> and, you know, I don't have a great answer for that just because there were certainly times when it wasn't, you know, really fun. Yeah. You know, I mean, that first bowl game, uh, the infamous New Mexico Bowl, mm-hmm. uh, you know, post game, you know, kind of had to ask about it. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he kind of did one of those classic football coach, uh, you know, publicly stupid question, brush you off things. You know, yeah. as, a, uh, as a 23-year-old down there, having a multi-million dollar coach on, you know, national TV kind of give you the old FU. That was not a fun no part of work, <laughs> uh, but you know all jobs have parts that aren't fun, and really any mm-hmm. relationship between two people that are have their own agenda and are kind of you know publicly exposed in the way that anyone is is, is are going to have those moments. And I never yeah. felt like, uh, or I very rarely to never felt like he was uh, being in, you know cruel or mean to the yeah. reporters. I think he very much. Uh, in the way that lots of public figures do, uh, sees interactions with the media as a chance to advance an agenda or mm-hmm. to advance, uh, you know, certain um, messages or policies. Right. And uh, you know, there are times when, as a reporter, uh, when you're asking about anything and it immediately gets circled back to, well, you know, we have the best football facilities in the country now. Uh, you know, you just sort of sit there and go, you know, okay. But in a lot of ways, he was really fantastic to deal with. I got to sit in on QB meetings that uh, I don't know very many of my colleagues who cover Pac-12 teams. Because, you know, the Pac-12 beat writers, you that's kind of who you have a beer with when you're in town or whatever. Yeah. And you, it's a sm- fairly small fraternity of men and women who cover Pac-12 There's only 11 coaches. other people generally, yeah. Yeah, and so we... You know, we compare notes, and a lot of them would kind of, yeah. So you know, they they close practices and stuff, and uh, you know, would kind of think that my access was really bad. But in some ways, you know, I got to sit and watch a defensive meeting with Alex Grinch and the, the team, and got to you know get behind the curtains in a way that mm-hmm. none of them got to. Yeah. And uh, you know, I think for Leach, you know, he's let a reporter come in and write a book with him. He 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 understands access and seeing behind the program and stuff Mm -hmm. i think they have a very kind of not during the season mentality so you know you may notice that we write really meaty stuff right before and right after the year but yeah during the year it's more of kind of your daily stuff Mm -hmm. um 
but he is an interesting and intelligent smart guy and not because of the quirky answers you know t today yeah. uh everyone was you know all about the uh you know mike leach was asked is there you know a hot dog a sandwich oh no, I, I, I don't know any website that would put that up for for and, uh, page views no I don't, I don't even know the person who would write that and, kind of and, thing and look page, page views are jobs you know? <laughs> i mean if, if uh you know i I think we in the the industry kind of feel like coal miners these days and if you know if you can do something that gets you clicks and it keeps somebody in furs for another day mm -hmm. you know do it but uh i never found that stuff to be i always thought it was sort of a disservice to this you know genuinely very interesting uh, jurist doctorate football coach to yeah. kind of focus on the 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 silly stuff because there's yeah. there's a lot of other stuff going on there that was really interesting you know the first time i ever watched a uh a QB meeting with him. Uh, I go in there, and uh, it's the week before Luke Falk's first start uh, at, Oregon State. State. at Oregon State week. Yeah, and so I'm there because I was going to write the first big profile of uh, Luke Falk, and uh, so we go in there, and you know it's a pretty important week. It is a game yeah, prep yeah, yeah, week, yeah. Yeah. And, and we go in there, and he, uh, you know, he kind of does the. Uh, uh, yeah, this is Jacob. He writes for uh, you know somebody. <laughs> you know, sort of kind of you know establishing a, a hierarchy early on yeah uh which reminds me of another story i'll tell in a sec here but uh you know and i sit down and he kind of he's doing the film thing for like 15 minutes and then he starts asking me about a uh a, a woman i was dating at the time who uh he, he kind of knew because he you know he asks about your personal life and he yeah. does, he's, he is interested uh he knew was uh going off to a law school at a, at a prominent Ivy law school. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he spent the next like 40 minutes of a QB meeting kind of peppering me with questions about law school and her application process and stuff like that. And uh, you could tell all the guys in the room were just sort of like, God, do we not care about who this random reporter's Dating and where she's going to school, but, uh, and uh, they're kind of like, so, so we're done here. We can go. You guys can have this chat. Yeah. But you know, he's he is a genuinely intellectually curious person in a way mm -hmm. that uh, very few people are. And to me, that's that's what's really interesting about Mike Lee. Yeah. And uh, and so from that perspective, uh, it was it was really cool to cover him. And you know, frankly, from the selfish perspective, uh, if the trade off is that. You know, sometimes he can get kind of snappy with the media, uh, even though, you know, he he will also call the media or, you know, mm -hmm. like he and Ernie Kent will, will reach out to, to because you're someone who likes to chat about football or basketball. And so are they. And yeah. that's, that's a cool thing, too. But, you know, if the trade off is that he can be mean sometimes publicly, but that even when Washington State was only winning three games, it was a national program because of his presence. You know, frankly, yeah. as a reporter, that's a pretty good trade-off. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I got I had a lot of Twitter followers uh, that I would not have had if I had been covering any other coach in Washington State football mm -hmm. history. Yeah. And, you know, four times a year, all I had to do was tweet out a quote, and it would go viral. Yeah. And, you know, the fact that that kind of set the tone for a, you know, if uh, Gabe Marks had been playing for any other coach in Washington State history, he probably would not have turned into the uh, personality, personality yeah. that he did. So uh, ultimately, I think it was a uh, unique but a very good uh, yeah. positive relationship. And I, I would not, I do not leave having been like, oh, I wish I'd covered some other coach. Yeah.
you got this job uh, as, as I think is actually fairly editorially appropriate for most papers when it comes to picking someone to cover a team. You graduated from the University of Washington, so you, you know, you, A, you had no affiliation with Washington State. B, if anything, it was not, not necessarily a dis, distaste, but a casual, you know, this is my alma mater's rival. And so I think it's good to hire someone from that perspective because you're not, they're not going to go in there with any perceived you know, biases. And if they did, it would be in the other direction completely instead of just, you know, brown nosing for lack of a better word. Were you apprehensive at all? Because I don't know if you'd been to Pullman before then, but were you apprehensive at all about that move to Pullman? And did you have a favorite part about your time living there? Because I, you know, I, I tell people all the time for UW grads, you know, that say, oh, well, you have to live in Pullman if you go to school there. I go, yeah. And I know a lot of Coug fans who are kind of bothered by the fact that, you know, people just hate Pullman that much. Like, you know, if you don't get it, that's fine. You didn't have to live there. You didn't go to sure. school there or whatever. Were you apprehensive at all about that move to a town like Pullman, given what I'm sure you had heard from your fellow students prior to that? Well, so that, uh, this will be a long uh, answer because there's a, <laughs> I, I have very kind of complex, long-winded feelings about it. Yeah. Uh, so I got to follow another UW grad who had kind of gone through that experience. Right, yeah. And so uh, I think one thing that's always been my kind of perception or what I've sort of noticed about hiring sports writers is that they're kind of like coaching trees in that you will have kind of runs at various schools of really good writers. Yeah. If you look back to Washington State, you know, a lot of writers from a certain generation came from Washington State. You know, Bob can go to Todd Millis. Those guys mm -hmm. were all at the Daily Evergreen. Yeah. Uh, Michigan, a couple of years before I was in college, had this ridiculous run where Chantel Jennings, mm -hmm. uh, who's, uh, you know, was a prominent Pac-12 ESPN writer for a long time. Now she's starting at The Athletic. Yep. Uh, Ryan Cartgee, who has, is a, like, already is a columnist in LA. Mm -hmm. uh, Tim Rohan, who's one of the great writers at the New York Times right now. We're all in school together. You know, that yeah. must have just been an insanely good student newspaper to read. Mm -hmm. uh, I was fortunate enough to go to uh, th this public commuter school on the west side at the same time <laughs> at the same time as uh, you know Christian Capel who is leaving the industry now but who I think if had been in a an area where leaving the industry wasn't a choice that so many were making uh, either willfully or otherwise you know would have had a, a very illustrious career that would have mm -hmm. you know he would have been a very prominent columnist and, and you know ended up at Sports Illustrated or something just a, an insane yeah. sports writing talent uh, when I was there uh, Taylor Soper, who is, you know, in a lot of ways the most successful writer any of us know right now, GeekWire, uh, yeah. is, is going nuts, and he's a big reason why. Uh, Josh Liebeskind, who right out of college, became the uh, a sports writer at the covering preps for the Seattle Times yep. and who kind of broke all that Bellevue stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we had a lot of really good sports writers there when I was the youngest, and so I... Uh, you know, it, it is a coaching tree. You kind of you you learn the business, you learn how to do it, and you kind of have to raise your game because there's other good writers in the newsroom. Yeah. And so, uh, for those who were always very annoyed that the spokesman hired consecutive uh, UW writers, mm -hmm. I think it's because we, you know, we we had a really good run for a little while there. Yeah. Uh, so my apprehension, I, I had been to Pullman a few times. Mm -hmm. uh, I grew, I, you know, I went to school in Seattle, but I did grow up in a fairly rural part of Thurston County. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, I was never really concerned about a cultural fit or anything yeah. like that. I, I didn't have any issues there. If there was any apprehension, it's because I sort of saw the fan bases pretty 
ugly, in my opinion, visceral reaction to Christian getting hired. Yeah. Uh, you know, he, he got stuff uh, that uh, w- just seemed really kind of over-the-top absurd to me. Mm-hmm. And I certainly appreciated that he kind of served as my lead blocker because I think... Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he died so that you could live. Yeah, yeah. You know, he, he got it really bad. And then, in my opinion, he did a very good job. And I think much of the fan base, uh, you know, and when we're talking about the fan base, we're talking about the, like, 5% of the fan base that uh, has any idea what the beat writer's name is and is on the message boards and cares. And I think a a lot of them went, oh, he did a really good job. We never would have known what school he went to uh, and felt a little sheepish about it. So, you know, uh, many people, uh, not, not excluding the Kook Center crowd, uh, and you guys who write for Kook Center, I think kind of went out of their way to not do that to me. I certainly got some of it when I got in. Yeah, there yeah. were there were uh, p- folks would uh, I try not to read the message board much, but I would have friends who would say who would show me. Uh, God, there was one on Kook Fan like right after I got the job where I had uh, went and covered the Arizona game. Yeah, at Arizona, really big win. Damn, Buchanan almost killed somebody. That's right. Yeah, yeah, I remember, uh, yeah. I remember that game. Yeah, and so we. You know, have always had a pretty similar package. It's like a, you know, seven to eight hundred or more word game story, mm-hmm. six to seven hundred word notebook, mm-hmm. uh, some keys to the game. Uh, you know, kind of a running score book. Pretty thing. pretty standard stuff that you do yeah, throughout a, the course a of a newspaper game. Yeah. Package. yeah. And someone on the message board had did some like, this is all we get from Thorpe. What are they paying him for? And linked to well, my. Well, I can guarantee you they're not paying you much if you work in the newspaper industry, but yeah. <laughs> and, and, well, and so they linked to my keys to the game. Yeah. And which was like, you know, three 20 word nuggets. Yeah. And that launched this like 70 response thread, <laughs> just, you know, ripping me. And I'm kind of just going like, man, like none of you kind of figured this out. And then I think you know maybe Braulio mm-hmm. Perez, uh, a, who at the time was a Kook fan writer, actually did kind of step in and say, you know, actually, you no, know, he, he wrote a game or he did the normal thing. There's all these videos you can click around, and the the original poster kind of, yeah, but but, but you know, still like I think he should care more. It should write more. And I'm just kind of like, D- you, I did. <laughs> uh, what are we paying you for? And that was the kind of point where I kind of went. You know, it, th- this is sort of the um, sports version of the Gamergate crowd or what, what have mm-hmm. you. Or, 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 you know, very, on both sides of the aisle, very visceral, uh, unreasonable people. Yeah. And so, I, you know, I kind of decided, well, you know, if, if that's where they're coming from, then I just don't care. Uh, yeah. But then, and, you know, that was a few weeks in and I was just sort of like, man, boy, I'm, I'm 23. Can you chill for a yeah. sec? Uh, but then, pretty quickly, a, a much, much greater percentage of the fan base was ended up being really, really cool. You know, I mean, yeah. the, my favorite part of the job, truly, you know, and there's a lot of really cool things about being a sports writer. I'm, you know, I right. It's really annoying to me when sports writers really kind of you know complain on Twitter about the, their job or what's hard because, you know, some parts suck. You know, I I left the Oregon State press box this last year at 1:30 in the morning and had to drive to Portland to get to my hotel. You know, that that wasn't yeah. fun. But you know what was really fun was being courtside for Gonzaga versus UNC for the national championship. You know, it's it's a really yeah. good trade-off. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Don't complain in public about your job no matter what you do, but especially not if you're getting to cover sports and the only people paying attention are sports fans. Yeah. Uh, but truly, the, the part I really appreciated the most was emails I'd get from readers 
and then those weekly chats. Yeah. And 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 to me, you know, I the the larger part of the online WSU fan, uh, readership were were just great. They really wanted a connection to their school. Mm-hmm. They they appreciated that there was hard work and long hours put in, and they ended up being just these great people to interact with. And so, uh, you know, I certainly went from the first few weeks just being you know, kind of having my apprehensions confirmed and just right. being like, man, it is going to, if the next few years of my life are just dealing with this from people who don't really care to actually, you know, figure out what happened or what the situation was, but are just mm-hmm. looking for an opportunity to kind of scream, then yeah, that's not going to be fun to deal with. But very, very quickly having it turn into this situation where I got to be a, a a person in this really cool community of people who all wanted to you know kind of talk about the stuff I was doing every day and who wanted to learn about the Cougs and mm-hmm. and it, and that part was just wonderful and was really the the best part of the job and mm-hmm. so yeah it, it went from I, I did have some concerns moving out there uh, but really quickly I felt like a a big part of it and from then on it was it, you know yeah. it was a really cool way to spend my mm-hmm. 20s and Pullman um, you know is a small town but the people there are great, you know, uh, the owners of Etsy Bravo are these, you know, young 30 somethings who, mm-hmm. uh, w- you know, it, it's a fairly new local bar in Pullman. Yep. Yep. Uh, Been there once to make a killer Manhattan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they take a lot of pride in it and, yeah. and they, uh, ended up being these really great people to, to get to know and spend some time with and, mm-hmm. you know, uh, people in the athletic department, uh, you know the folks who live out there are really great, and I had yeah. certainly never minded living in Pullman. Yeah. Uh, except this one August when we had all those firestorms and the air. Quality yeah, that that might yeah that might have been yeah that might not have been the best time. Uh, you are leaving the spokesman to go work for one of the legislators. We won't say who because it's you know still not officially on the job yet. One of the secret legislators. Yes, yes, one of the very secret ones. Um, so I want to wrap things up with a very important. Hard-hitting questions. Mm. If you had to choose one place to go to breakfast in Pullman or Moscow, where would you go? Hmm. Well, uh, my political answer is gonna be uh, no. I'm not. No. 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 I'm not. No. I'm not interested. I'm not interested in that. I'm not. I'm not interested in My honest answer is. My favorite morning meal in Pullman would probably be a uh, something around you know two a.m. at the at the bagel shop because uh, <laughs> you, you know there there is one in Pullman right now by uh, the Coog. Oh, is oh yeah. uh, the Coog and or I believe it's the Coog and the Moscow Bagel Shop have yeah. partnered to create uh, bagels and bottles. Which did that is, go? Did that go in like very recently? Like six months or so. Yeah. Okay, so I don't feel bad about not noticing it then, because the last time we were in Poland was for the Apple Cup. So I feel better about not noticing it then, if it's especially if it's right there, well, right, right in the middle of Greek Row. I mean, yeah, I'm quite, I'm quite happy with that. I, bet, That's I good answer. think they're probably a quite, but, lu- quite lucrative. But you would pick Breakfast Club over Old European. I would pick. Uh, well. I think at Breakfast Club it's a little easier to get a really good meal for cheaper. Thank you. Uh, if, uh, if someone else is paying, I, I might go to Old <laughs> with their seven dollar fresh. That's that's the good. That's them. that's the good policy. Um, we talked a little bit about your time in Pullman. How much are you going to miss the cheap alcohol? Because oh, I mean, I it, I I'm still shocked at how much I miss it. And even going back for football weekends, when I'm sure the bars in no way do the equivalent of surge pricing. 
uh, on their alcohol, uh, how much cheaper it still is than uh, drinking over here on the west side. Well, uh, you know, it, it, it really is uh, truly shocking what a, a tub at the club costs over in Moscow or, or even a, uh, <laughs> yeah, just anywhere in town. You know, the, and, and the fact is, is that uh, you can get really good, you know, kind of Fremont Ballard quality, you know, uh, happy hour food in Pullman at, uh, you know, South Fork or uh, Birch and Barley yeah. or uh, even, uh, you know, Black Cypress. I didn't go to for a couple of years because I heard it was the, you know, it's where the coaches eat. It's the super expensive, fancy, like if you've got yeah. a really good date go-to place. Uh, Black Cypress is pretty cheap for, yeah. uh, for a very good meal. Yeah. So, um, no, all, all the uh, food and uh, drink situation in Pullman is super desirable. And when mm-hmm. you talk about, like, cost of living, uh, as someone who had an absurdly cheap apartment in Pullman... Uh, for about 500 a month with a spare bedroom. Uh, <laughs> you know, I still think the food and drink is where the cost of living is getting really depreciated. And since you'll probably ask what my biggest regret was during my time yes, at Pullman, let's, all, let's, let's do that certainly now. Certainly yeah. didn't, that I did not ever once uh, rent out that room during a Cougar football weekend. Oh, yeah, you didn't Airbnb it and no, make a because I could have, uh, you know, what, a, 150 a night, two nights a. Oh yeah, no, that, that that would have been cheaper than any hotel in town, and yeah. you would have gotten to stay with the spokesman review beat writer. Oh yeah, I would have made a big deal out of it. We, uh, you know, you would have gotten a newspaper <laughs> with breakfast. Uh, oh god, all that. But but you know, I, I, I want Coog fans to know that the beat is in really good hands. Uh, yeah. I've known Theo for years. Uh, very hardworking guy. You know, I met Theo because he was a senior at UI down there at the Pac-12 basketball tournament. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, paying his way down there by freelancing for every organization that would. You know, give him mm-hmm. some cash for a game story and, and working his butt off. And he he knows the beat. He's covered the basketball team for a few years now. Yeah, he does that when you uh, when football season overlaps. Uh, right, he'd have been doing that for the past couple of years, right? Well, so the way the Lewiston Tribune does it is they have a guy cover uh, Vandal football and Wazoo basketball, and that was uh-huh. Theo. And then Dale Grummer covered uh, WSU football and right. Idaho basketball. Okay. So he's been on the Wazoo basketball beat for a few years now. Okay. He knows all the... All he knows Ernie Cat really well. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then for football, uh, you know, he, he and I have been good friends for a long time, and we're mm-hmm. both sports writers, so he he's very much seen what my schedule was. He he, we talked about what you know what an eccentric Mike Leach is earlier. He's even more prepared probably than anybody because he's had to cover Paul Petrino for the past few years, who uh, is difficult to say the least. Theo without is not yeah. a uh, not a rookie to to the uh, vagaries of covering yeah, uh, uh, the abrasive perhaps coach. abrasiveness of a coach sometimes. <laughs> uh, well, I can't comment having never covered Paul Petrino. No, but, but he does know Mike not. Bresky really well, so there's some oh, over- overlap there. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> I want to end it on that note. I want to end it on that note. Okay. No, Jacob, uh, no Twitter questions? Or? Oh, let's see. If we, I didn't even check to see if we got any here. Uh, let's see here. Oh, we already covered the one. Do you have a job? Yes, you do have a job. You didn't just quit and run away. Uh, oh, I don't know if you want to do who's the worst person you dealt with in the athletic office. That might be. Because you told me earlier before we started you'd still like to go to some games. Yeah, I never pick, dealt pick with somebody any, who quit. never dealt with any bad people in the athletic <laughs> office. Uh... Yeah, I tell you if I did. Yeah. Uh, no, the you know, people who work in athletic offices are there because they love their university because it, you know a lot of them went there and because they love college yeah. sports and they 
want to be around it. They they like the team atmosphere and environment and mm-hmm. and uh, the pageantry of it. And th- those are generally people that I get along with pretty well. Yeah. This guy always made time for us, even in between, like when he had 15 minutes to run from his apartment to practice, he made time for us. I appreciated it to no end, uh, and he's going to do really well uh, in the future, and uh, I'm liking the facial hair here, because I, 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 I had the same thing, but you're you're much thinner than I was when I just had the hair on my chin, because I was using it to hide a double chin way back in the day. You're not, you're not, oh, you're not doing that. Well, it's all natural. <laughs> Jacob Thorpe, formerly of the Spokesman Review, joins us uh, one last time here on the Gook Center. Thanks, big guy. Hey, always appreciate you guys having me on and uh, and uh, joining me on the beat, and it was a, it's all been a pleasure. He liked the chats better, though. He'll be drinking in Pullman, though, this fall, at least a couple of times. He's got to make it back over. Thanks again to Jacob Thorpe. He was way more than generous with his time, and we so appreciate him stopping by to do that his one final time, uh, his exit interview, as he said, here on the Cougs Center. We're gonna try, I want to try a new uh, segment this year. We're going to get rid of the Dunderhead of the Week. I thought that was a little weak. You know, I still want to use the same music because Benny Hill's awesome, and usually this segment will involve some sort of Benny Hilling. We're going to try a new segment. I want to call this the Sound of the Week. Yeah, I just changed it. You know what? Just shut up, okay? I changed... First, I, I put effort into this and thought, and this is free, so whatever. And I will admit, <laughs> I got way more worked up about that than I needed to be. You're not mad. Um, I, I will admit the sound is old. I just heard it, and since this is the first one of the season, I'm, I'm going to take a little liberty on this not being of the week because this is such a dead period in sports right now. So I'm going to go. I want to go back to last baseball season. John Miller, who's the Giants broadcaster. Excellent broadcaster, I think criminally underrated as a broadcaster, uh, was calling a home run uh, in a Giants game against the Dodgers. And let's see if you can spot the problem he has here. Well, he makes a mistake, a pretty big one, and the way he corrects it is absolutely exceptional. Just It just shows what a professional broadcaster he is. Take a listen. Pence is not yet knocked in a run. He's got a, a chance to pick one or two or three or four. RBI's up right here. Now the 1-0 pitch. Swing, and there's a high drive. Deep into left center field. It's on its way. Adios, Pelota! A grand slam for Buster Posey's good friend, Hunter Pence. 12-6 Giants. They have broken it open here in the eighth inning, and Pence gets his first four RBIs all at the same time. That's how you change it up. You just knows instantly he makes the mistake. And then he goes to his good friend, Hunter Pence. 
John Miller was so good at ESPN Sunday Night Baseball. I, got, I have so much respect for that guy and how good he is. He's just such a good announcer, but that is just... <laughs> oh, my goodness. We'll do some more serious ones. We'll do some... Eh, they're mostly going to be funny, though. We didn't get rid of Ask Michael anything, though. Let's do that. Ask Michael anything. I wait all year for this segment to come back. We let off with this is such a good show. Like I feel like I'm setting the expectations way too high for the rest of the season. At Stevie D underscore. This is all, we get all our questions on Twitter if you ever want to do that and you want to join us on there. We also leave some in the comment section here. We'll try to answer those as well. How do you think they manage Harrington? Going to be hard to get everybody carries snaps with a loaded backfield. That is true. Uh, as our own Brian Anderson pointed out, I think about a week ago on Twitter, uh, WC running backs got more yards than any running back group in the country last year. But I, I think it's inevitable. You're going to get some people dinged up. You know, not everybody's going to be totally healthy all year. Harrington can catch too, so... I think that that's an important, you know, I mean, they can, all the running backs can catch, but he's also, I think, very exceptionally at it, or very exceptional at it. So I, I think they'll get him some touches, and it'll be good for him to be there next year uh, when Morrow and Wicks are gone, because there's a, you know, in case Booby decides to go to the draft, which if he does, I cannot blame him whatsoever for doing that. Um, it'll be good to have him, so at the very least, he'll get some touches next year, I think. Uh, at Coog0818, what advice do you have for watching a game while at a wedding? This is from Eric Smith. Um... Bring a tablet, like a smaller tablet, with you so you can get good viewing. And then kind of hold it under the table on your lap a little bit. Or you just go to, a, like, go, like, find a bathroom somewhere. And because inevitably there are going to be people who want to watch it with you. So you might need some space here to make it not obvious what you're doing. Being at the bar and doing it, I think, would probably be a little too, uh, a little too obvious. So don't, don't do that. Don't, don't do that. From our own Craig Powers, at the Craig Powers on Twitter. If WSU manages to beat Montana State, what's the best reaction? Bronx cheers, sighs of relief, all-out jubilation, or shrugs? I mean, I love a good Bronx cheer. I do, you know, if you don't know what a Bronx cheer is, it's like, oh, yeah, ooh, yeah, you did it. You know, like, yeah, okay, you should have done, done that. Like, congratulations, what do you want, a cookie for it? Uh, that should be it. Um, the shrug, you know, it's just like, you know, okay, good, they won a game. Yeah, you know. It's kind of like last year when they beat Idaho. I, I was a little worried going into that game, to be honest, given the two weeks prior. Uh, but after they won, it was just like, oh, hey, they won that game they really should have won. Okay, moving on. Um, I'm not, I'm not above, uh, complete and utter chaos in terms of jubilation, though. And, and I, I don't care. I really don't care what any other fan base thinks of that. You guys should know that by now. I, I do not care what anybody else thinks about reactions to football games. If everybody wants to take their pants off, twirl them over their head in the air, and run screaming down to Valhalla for endless pitchers, then let's do that, too. Let's do that. Another show next week. So happy to be back here on the Cougs Center. So happy you guys are listening again. And uh, we're just so happy to be able to bring this to you every week now uh, through the end of the season. We will have one exception. I'll tell you more about that next week. Uh, but in the meantime, enjoy your week. We will talk to you again next week here on the Coop Center app.